right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to walk through this text this morning. The Bible calls us all the way from the Old Testament throughout the New that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, all our might, um, with our, our bodies. And so we're to worship God with, with all that we are, and that includes our physical bodies as well. And as we've been going through this letter to uh, the church in Corinth, we, we have seen how the Corinthians have, have been off track, how they have missed the mark. Um, they have gone outside of God's word for, for wisdom. They've let the, the wisdom of the culture uh, of the world sink into the church. Um, and so they've gotten away from the cross. They've gotten away from the gospel. We, we have seen their, their treatment of each other. Uh, we're going to see favoritism down the road as well. We, we've seen Paul addressing immorality, which he's going to address uh, again uh, today. And so they missed the mark when it came to honoring God with, with their bodies. And so God is going to encourage us today that the Lord has given us the gift of our bodies to be used for his Glory, as we're going to see at the end of verse 20. And so we know that we're told from, from uh, throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that whether I eat or whether I drink or whatever I do, I, I do it all for the glory of God. That's what we were created for. That's what our bodies were created for. Every bit of who we are is to be used unto the glory of God, even our bodies. And that's Paul's point today. And what he's going to do is he's going to really drive home three main truths um, about the people of God, uh, about believers, to come back to this idea that we're to flee immorality and we're to glorify God with our bodies. And the three truths that he's going to bring up, let me go ahead and give them to you because they're going to kind of set the frame, the structure of what we're going to talk about this morning is, is the first truth is this, that, that we are set free. As believers of Christ, we are set free for the glory of God. We're, we're set free for the glory of God. This, the second point that we're going to see in this text is that we're joined with Jesus for the glory of God. We're joined with Jesus for the glory of God. And the third point he's going to bring up is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. Those are three big monumental truths about believers, about Christians, that we're free in Christ. And not only that, we're joined with Jesus. And third, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as a result of that, we should glorify God with all that we are. And so today we're going to look at that today in those three main structure ideas. And so look at verse 12, 13 through 14. Listen to what Paul says as he begins here. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. And so Paul has in mind here that the freedom that we have in Christ, and how do we use that freedom? And his encouragement is going to end with verse 20, that we're to glorify God with this freedom 
that we have. And so look at verse 13, if you would, and, and we're going to kind of go backwards through these texts this morning. We're going to look at verse 13 and 14, and then jump back up um, to uh, the beginning of 13, the beginning of 12. So we're going to kind of bounce around this morning, but I want you to look at verse 13, and, and, and look what he says at the end of verse 13. He says that the body is for who? It's for the Lord, all right? He makes the fact that the body is for the Lord. Your, your body has been given to you for one reason. God has gifted you. He's, he's, by his grace, he has given you your body to be an instrument for the glory of God. And so your body is for the Lord. And so the way we use our body, the way we take care of our body should communicate that the glory of Christ is all satisfying. And that's what this means. That the body is for the Lord. The second point he makes right after that is that the Lord is for the body. What you think, well, that's, a, that's a, maybe an interesting statement. Why does Paul say that? You see, Christ is not indifferent to the body. He cares about it. He's not against it. He's not indifferent to it. The reason he says this is because the church in Corinth, there were some people who had a different view when it came to the body. They, they believed that when it came to your body, you could be morally indifferent, that what you did with your body, what you put in it, what you, you did with it, did not matter. In fact, some held this, this view that because they had the Holy Spirit, because they had this, this freedom in Christ, they could do whatever they want, that they had this license to, to sin. Um, some believed that they were in this spiritual realm because they were believers, uh, and that um, that what they did with their body um, did not matter whatsoever. And so Paul comes out of the gates and says, oh, hold on. Uh, the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. He's not indifferent to it. And so how we handle our body matters, matters. And so look at verse 14. He not only uh, says that the Lord is for the body and, and the body is for the Lord, but in verse 14, he says, now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. And to, and to show that God is not indifferent to the body, what he says right here is, is just as Christ was raised up by God, we also one day, those in Christ, will be raised up as well. And so what he's saying here is that the body will never lose its importance. In fact, it, it, it may decay for a season, Right? When, when we die, when, when our soul goes to heaven and our body goes to a grave one day, it may decay for a season, but it will be raised up. It will be restored. First Thessalonians 4 talks about this, other parts as well as the Scripture. But God gave Jesus a resurrection body, and one day he will give us a resurrection body as well, fit for new heavens and, and new earth as God is going to create for his people. And so the resurrection is God's final declaration, according to Paul, that he is for the physical body, that he is for the body. So what we do with it matters. And look at verse 13 as we keep going up, kind of climbing this ladder with this first point, is that he says, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. This kind of sounds a little different, right? It, it almost sounds opposite of what Paul is describing here. It's almost this argument that the body is just going to decay in the ground anyway, so it has no moral significance. What I do with it really doesn't matter. It's just here to process food for a while, and then it's 
all gone. And that's kind of what Paul is, is, is saying here. Now, now, Paul is not saying this in a way to say that, that, that necessarily this truth should dictate we live with that in mind. What he's saying here is, is this like a slogan uh, that the church in Corinth had. This is what they believed. Now, what he's saying in verse 13, these, these are truths, right? These are truths, but they're not exactly true in the sense the way that Corinth looked to them. You remember, Paul just got done saying that the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body, and that he's going to raise up the body one day. And so Paul is coming here to, in an argument, right, against the church of Corinth to, to show them um, that God does care about the body. How we treat it is a big deal, and what we do with it matters. So what's the issue here when he talks about stomach, when he talks about food and, and appetite? Gluttony definitely comes to the surface, right? Not only gluttony, all right, uh, but also drunkenness, okay? What we do with alcohol, um, um, Paul addresses this even places like Ephesians chapter 5, that uh, we're not to get drunk with wine, but instead we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but Paul also does a, a pretty hard switch here. If you look at verse 13, he also says, the second sentence, yet the body is not for immorality, right? And so it seems he's dressing the appetites, right? Dealing with food, dealing with drink, dealing with sexual immorality. Um, and so some believe they had this view, hey, listen, what we do with the body doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, they reasoned that the body and food and drink and sex are going to be destroyed in the end. And now there's going to be is these free spirits. That was kind of their idea. So the body does not matter. And so Paul is saying that this is a false view. This is a false view of the gospel. Because the body does matter. It's for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. And so he continues. And you go back up to verse 12. Listen to what he says. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all, all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered or controlled by anything. And, and so Paul, again, here in verse 12, is using a slogan. This is something that the church in Corinth would, would use, both 12 and 13. In fact, if you go to chapter 10, Paul's going to almost say this almost identical statement again. The reason he used it is because this is what the church of Corinth would use to make arguments. What's interesting is what Paul says here in verse 12 is probably something he taught. And so what they did, this is kind of interesting, they, they took what he taught, which is a truth, verse 12 is a truth, and we'll, we'll talk about how it is, but what they did is they twisted it. They used it uh, for their means. They twisted it to fit into uh, the way they wanted to think about the body and how to use it instead of a biblical idea and how it related to the gospel. Um, and, and so Paul says here, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable or, or helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered or controlled by anything. They thought that they could do whatever they wanted. They would use their freedom in Christ as a license to sin. But Paul is saying here as Christians, we're set free in Christ, not to do whatever we want, but that we are set free to live for the glory of God. And in, in, in two ways specifically, I think Scripture addresses how we are to use our bodies 
specifically for the glory of God in light of our freedom in Christ. And I think the first way is in love, right? And Paul addresses that in this very letter. You think about this idea, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable or helpful. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24, Paul says very similar things. He says, all things are lawful for me, not all things are helpful or profitable. All things are lawful. But listen to what he says next. Not all things are edifying. Meaning, not all things that, that we maybe have the right to do or that are lawful for us to do, not all things are encouraging to others, and not all things build others up. And so he says in verse 24, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. And so really the question is, what is helpful? What I do with my body, how does it help others? How does it edify others? How do I do that with my time, my body, and how I serve others? And so 1 Corinthians 8.1, he says this, that love edifies. Love builds up. And so the question isn't always just, well, this is right, and this is lawful. Or is it right, or, or is it lawful? That's not always the question. That's important, right? That's what Paul is saying here. But the question also needs to be, is it good, right? Does it benefit others? There may be something that is completely lawful and right for us to do, but it may not build another up. It may not encourage someone. It may not be helpful to someone. So it's not always about whether I have the right to do something, but whether my conduct is helpful to those around me. Our freedom in Christ is not to be used for what? Our selfish gain, our selfish desires, but instead for others. And so that relates to how we handle our bodies, what we put in our bodies. And then the second idea here with this idea of the freedom of Christ, that we're not going to be mastered by anything except submit our life to Christ, to Jesus alone, that he has all authority. The second idea is this idea of liberty, okay? Because they took their freedom, their liberty, and they used it for sin. They had this idea that they were indifferent to morality and how they lived. But Paul addresses this. All things are lawful for me in verse 12, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul says in Romans 8, 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And so we're no longer enslaved to sin. But instead, now we're slaves, we're servants of Jesus Christ. And so this bids another question. The question we should be asking, according to what Paul says, is, is, is what I'm about to do or what am I involved in when it comes to my physical body? Am I enslaved to it? Will it enslave me? Because our life is to be submitted to the Lord's control, to his authority. And so we've got to ask the question, what in our life right now is not submitted to Christ's authority, especially when it comes to our body and how we use our bodies for the glory of God. So we should submit everything, Paul says. This is his idea here, his argument, that it would be unto the Lord's control, to his authority. So Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom, this is good, into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what the freedom of Christ that we have is to be used for. And, and, and God says through Paul here, as those who are free in Christ, 
We're to glorify God with our body through loving each other and not using um, the freedom we have as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve and to love and to care for others. So Paul gives us some application there, how we are to handle our bodies for the glory of God in light of our freedom. But look what he says next in verse 15. He's going to move to this other idea, this other big idea that we're joined with Jesus. We're members with Christ for the glory of God. So it impacts how we should handle our body. Look what he says in verse 15 through 16. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Now, someone might be reading this, might be saying, well, Paul, okay, all right. You, you threw in immorality earlier, just kind of a, uh, took a hard right. Now you've really taken a hard right. What's the reason for this? What, what's the reason for this? Well, let me finish verse 16. I'll tell you. Look at verse 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. Paul had to address this in the church at Corinth because it was believed that especially men in the church, not only, but especially men in the church, were joining themselves with, with prostitutes and were, thought it was okay. They were justifying because of what we talked about in verse 12, 13, and 14. They were justifying that this is okay because the body doesn't matter. It's in, they were indifferent to morality and what was good and what was holy and pure when it came to their bodies. And so they thought subjecting themselves to prostitutes was okay. And so that's why Paul goes here, and he addresses this big fact that you are members with Christ. You're members with Christ, aren't you? He says, do you not know that? Do you not understand that? When, when you receive Christ your Lord and Savior, you were joined with him. Not just in this mystical union with the body of Christ, but individually, you're joined with him. Your body is joined together with the body of Christ. And, and Paul says, you must take this serious. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Surely not. Surely not. But Paul says, that's what you do when you go outside the bounds of marriage and you have sex with another. And so Paul says, as those who have trusted in Christ, we're joined with Jesus. We're joined with the body of Christ. And so our bodies are members of him. And so think about this idea of what he's saying here. When a Christian has sex with a prostitute, he or she takes what belongs to God and gives to someone else. And when it is one who is not their husband or wife, then it's what? It's stealing from God. Paul talks about that also in Ephesians Four. And so when a Christian marries, this doesn't happen. Why? Because God has ordained, has approved marriage. He has created sex for marriage. And so he permits us and wants us to share our bodies with our spouse. But when you go outside of that, you involve the Lord in an immoral act. And you also take another into it as well. And so this is a big deal to Paul. A big deal. Sex is more than just a physical linking of two people. It's the most intimate experience one can experience. It involves the whole person, not just the body, and a spiritual union takes place. And that's the idea of what he says in verse 16. Do you not realize that the two shall become one? And so Paul addresses this head on. And then look what he says in verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord 
is one spirit with him. And so building on this idea that you are joined with Jesus, that you are members with Christ, is that the person who trusts in Christ unites with him in an even stronger and a more pervasive oneness and unity. And so your bodies are members of Christ's body so that they must not be members of a prostitute's body or anyone else that's not your married spouse. For joined to a prostitute, your members become one body with her. And that's his argument with the church. And so joined to Christ, your members become one spirit with him. And so this idea, does the body matter? Most definitely. Most definitely. And how we handle it. And that's why he says what he does next. Flee immorality. Flee immorality. Two big words. Two big words. Run. Right? What, what are the things that we told to, to, to flee? Well, if your house is burning, right, get out. Flee. And you think about this in the, in the, in the same way, in the same idea, right? It, you, you don't play with fire. You don't mess around with fire, right? If not, you'll get burned. You're, you'll get destroyed. Fire destroys things. Same thing with immorality. That's why Paul says, Run from it. Flee from it. He's very strong on this because sexual immorality is destructive. You cannot undo this act. It destroys. It's a serious sin because you're placing your body, which belongs to the Lord, under the control of someone who is not your married spouse. And so no other sin is like this. No other sin is like this. That's why Paul says what he does next. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. You see, no other sin is like this. Sexual morality. No other sin has this result. And so the body, he says, is not to be used for immorality, so don't play around with it. Flee it. Run from it. Run from it. And so because we are members of Christ, because our bodies are members with Christ's body, we're to glorify God in our body by fleeing immorality. And then look at his third point here. What he says, beginning of verse 19. He asks this question. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body body. Huge statements. In fact, you can take these, these two verses and preach on them for at least a month, at least, at least a month. And the third point that, that Paul is saying here is that those who are in Christ, you are a holy temple. You're a holy temple to glorify God. So look at this text. Really, I, I debated whether to start here this morning and just work my way up because this right here really gets to the heart, the central theme of, of why our bodies matter. And look what he says. There's four pro- propositions I want us to see here. The first one is this. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Okay? So there's a couple points there. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells in you. So we'll talk about what that means in a second. Here's the second proposition that he says. Okay. Well, connected to that first one is also whom you have from God. Okay. 
So God has given you the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing is that you are not your own. These are big statements that he says to believers. All right? The third one is this. In verse 20, for you have been bought with a price. That's a, that's a big, loaded statement. And then the fourth one, therefore. So in light of everything he says here, right, from the very beginning, because of your freedom that you have in Christ, right, because the body matters to the Lord and he is for it, because you've been joined with Jesus, because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, because of all this that I've just said, he says, glorify God in your body. So that's the fourth one he says here. So, so let's go back up. Let's put two of these things together. He says that God bought you, right? That God has purchased you with a price. And because of that, you are not your own. Let's put those two things together. So God has purchased every believer with a great price. Acts 20, 28 tells us that God has purchased us with the blood of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. The Father made Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. This idea of redemption, we use that word that we're redeemed. We sing about that in songs. Scripture talks about it. Ephesians 1, uh, Paul uses it that we've been redeemed. What does that mean? We, we've been purchased out of slavery. We were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to the enemy. We, we were slaves of the enemy. And so, so now we have been purchased out by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. No longer enslaved. We have been now set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price, with the blood of God's own Son. And so Paul says right here, because of that, you are not your own. You're not your own. You are no longer enslaved to self. You're no longer enslaved to the flesh. You have been set free by Jesus, and you're not your own. You belong to God. You're a child of God. Amazing. Amazing. And this is what Paul does over and over. He takes them back to the cross. He takes them back to the gospel because they forget. And I've, I've said this many of times. Charles Spurgeon would preach the gospel every time they would gather as a church. And people would have ladders leaning up against the church windows. And there wasn't often in Metropolitan Tabernacle, there was no room for people to sit. No room. And so people would put ladders up to the windows. There's pictures of this. And, and they would climb up to the top and just from that ladder listen into the window. And what they would hear every Sunday is, is, a, is amazing preaching. He's called the Prince of Preachers. And he would preach through the Word of God. But no matter where he was in the Scripture, he would preach the gospel. He preached the gospel. And one, one Sunday... One of his congregants came up to him and said, excuse me, Mr. Spurgeon, why is it that every time I come here, you preach the gospel? You always tell me about how God loves me and that, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for me on the cross. 
and that Jesus conquered death through his resurrection. He raised from the dead on the third day, and Mr. Spurgeon looked at this gentleman and said, the reason I preach it every Sunday is because you forget it every day. You have to be reminded. I love that. And how true is that? And I think that's what 1 Corinthians is. Paul takes real-life stuff, <laughs> real-life messes, and he continues to go back to the only answer, right? The one thing we, we forget, we can forget. And the one thing we're called to remember daily is to walk in the gospel, to live a life worthy of the gospel. Don't forget what Christ has done for you. Don't forget what he's purchased for you. He's bought you out of slavery, not to use it as a license to sin and do whatever you want and be indifferent to morality, but he's bought you and he's made you a child of God. You are not your own. And then look at the second thing. If we put two other propositions together that he makes here in verse 19 and 20, is he says here, from God, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. So, end of verse 20, glorify God in your body. So let's take those two things. First of all, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to his children, right? The giving of the Holy Spirit, or if you want to call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, is not like something special that comes later to certain people to some certain degrees. Guess what? When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, okay, you get the Holy Spirit. You don't get like 75% of him, and then 25% are going to come later when you start figuring things out. That's, that's no. You get 100% of him. It doesn't matter who you are. Everybody gets the Holy Spirit when you trust in Jesus Christ. There's not some degree coming later right? You're baptized in the Spirit. You're united with Christ. You're united with His Spirit, and the Spirit of God indwells you. That's the gift that God gives to His children. And so what does this mean, though? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is inside of us? You ever thought about that? I don't think it's spatial, right? Not the spatial idea that He's coming in and in, in, in that idea, but I think it's couple ideas that I was thinking of just this week. That first of all, he identifies with us, okay? He identifies with us. And second, he influences us, right? The Holy Spirit has that kind of power over us to influence us and praise God because that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit's influence, right? That's why Paul continually, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, continues to tell us, uh, 5.18 in Ephesians, not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with what? The Holy Spirit, right? And and what does the filling of the Holy Spirit mean for us? Is that we would be obedient to Jesus. When we're obedient to Jesus, we're being filled with the Spirit. That's what happened. And, And so what is Paul tells us in Galatians 5, not to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God that's in you. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit is influencing you. Okay? And that's the whole point of Ephesians 5.18. Just like alcohol has an influence over you, right? He's saying, don't do that, but let the Holy Spirit have an influence over you to control you. And so this indwelling means that. 
And so also the Holy Spirit inside of us means that we are made holy, that we are made pure as a temple with the glory of God in it. That's why Paul uses this idea that we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's because if you go back to the Old Testament, places like Exodus, Deuteronomy, and other places, it talks about the temple of God being the dwelling place of God, where, where the glory of God would fill the temple of God. It's where the glory of God is. And so what he's saying here is that, Christian, that's who you are. That's who we are. We are the temple of God now, where the glory of God dwells. Let me just stop for a second. If we let that sink in, and if we lived in reality of that, how drastically different things be. You ever thought about that? That the, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where the glory of God dwells. And so that's Paul's reasoning here. He's saying, hey, that's why we don't do things like sexual morality. That's why we flee it. That's why we don't get drunk. That's <laughs> why we don't partake in gluttony, as he addresses in verse 13 as, and other places as well, because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then look, the third idea is this Holy Spirit inside of us is this idea. And I want to go to another place in Scripture to help us out with this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. I love this idea. Listen to what Paul says. In Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, listen to some of these truths that he's about to share. You were sealed in Jesus with the Holy Spirit of promise. Isn't that pretty amazing? That's pretty amazing. That when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's some security right there, guys. And then he says this, that the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Isn't that pretty amazing? So the Holy Spirit's given to you as this pledge of our inheritance, that, that what God says that he will give to you, eternal life, and, and now, but also in the future to come, and when he speaks of new heavens and new earth, that, that you in guaranteed inheritance to be with God one day, and the Holy Spirit is the seal. He is the, uh, the pledge of that, that God has not only purchased you now, but you will be redeemed forever and part of his kingdom and his possession. And why is all this for the end of verse 14? To the praise of his glory. And so this idea that the Holy Spirit indwells in us is the guarantee of our inheritance and it enables us and it transforms us to glorify God. That's what it does. And then listen to what Jesus said about this in John 16, 13 through 14. Jesus says, when he, the spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, okay? So Jesus had this idea that, that when the Holy Spirit comes, okay, after Jesus, remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He says, it's better for me that I leave so that the Holy Spirit can come. It's to your advantage. He says, it's, it's, it's better to have the Holy Spirit here and dwelling in you than 
my physical presence here on this earth. That's, that's what Jesus told the disciples. And, and so Jesus says right here in John 16, 13, he says, when, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. And then look at verse 14. And think about this in relationship to the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. He says this, he will glorify me. Jesus says, he will bring glory to me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. And so the fourth thing that we see right here is the presence of the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. So think about that. What does that mean for us? Right? If we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, what that means is that we are to glorify Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit was given us to do. Right? And Jesus came to glorify the Father. And so it's amazing to think that that is the gift that the Father has given you when he bought you with the great price of his Son. Is he's given you the presence of his Spirit to indwell in you, to influence you to be a pure and holy temple, to be a guarantee, to be an inheritance, to enable you and to transform you to glorify Jesus in all that you are, and especially in light of this context, with our bodies. And so to conclude, Paul says we're to use our bodies to show this. When we think about this idea that we're to glorify God with our bodies, as he says at the end of verse 20. I think what this means is that we are to show a few things, that we are to use our bodies to show this, that God is all satisfying, right? We're to show that with our bodies that God is our delight, that he is all satisfying. I think also what that means when we think about this idea of glory that we're to use our bodies to show that God is strong, right? That he is all-powerful. I think thirdly, we're to show that he is good, that he is all good. And so go back to the encouragement of verse 18. That's why he says, flee immorality, flee immorality. So this goes for inside of marriage, being faithful. Outside of marriage, what does this mean? means self-control. It means abstinence. That's what it means. Why? Because we want to glorify God in our body. We, we want to show him to be all satisfying because that's who he is to us and that he is strong and that he is good. He is good. All right. I love it. I was joking around at nine when we we got to verse like 19 and 20, and I said, all right, let's get to the PG part now, all right? Because, I mean, kind of, he takes kind of a hard turn there in verse, verse um, 15 and 16, and he, and he needs to because he had to address a rampant problem in the church. Um, and so when we think of these big ideas, like when, when Deuteronomy 6.5 says that we're to tell our children to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It includes everything that we are, including our bodies. And so to, to just recap, just real quick, one minute, right? Because of the freedom we have in Christ, we're not to use our bodies as a license to sin, okay? 
but our bodies matter to the Lord. It's a big deal what we do with them. And so because of the freedom we have, we are to use our bodies to, to love and to serve others, not ourselves. And that magnifies God. That glorifies God. Second thing, right? We're joined with Jesus. We're members with Christ. Our body is. Okay? He saved all of us. Okay? He didn't just save our soul. He, he saved every bit of you. Right? So we're joined with him. And so because of that, right, we're to flee immorality. We're, we're to flee gluttonous living. We're, we're to flee drunkenness and glorify God with our bodies. And thirdly, because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit indwells in us, we are to use our bodies for the glory of God. Jesus should be seen as all-satisfying, strong and good with all that we do. So let's pray.